Well, let's get into the teaching of the Word today. Uh, we are in a teaching series called Firestarter. We, we kicked this off last week, and, and we're looking at the power of our words. And, and we learned from James last week that, that our tongue starts fires. And we decided, what, what kind of fires do we want to start? Do we want to start forest fires of destruction, or do we want to start fires of revival? Because one way or another, the words that we say are going to start fires. And so last week, we started out looking at how we can submit our words to the Holy Spirit. Because no one can tame the tongue, right? It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's what James taught us. No one can tame the tongue. But if we can learn to submit the tongue to the Holy Spirit, then maybe our words would start to uh, start a different kind of fire. And so today... In addition to submitting our words to the Holy Spirit, I actually want to take a step back and look at not only in the moment we're about to say something, should we submit our words to the Holy Spirit, but what if we did some things in advance that helped determine what words are going to come out? And so today's teaching, I'm titling it Garbage In, Garbage Out. Garbage in, garbage out. All right, this is actually a computer science term. So any of my computer science engineers out there, any of my computer nerds out there, you may have heard this. Garbage in, garbage out. They'll leave in for short. They'll call it Geigo, okay? Of course, here on Kauai, we would say rubbish in, rubbish out. So we would say Ryro, which makes us sound like Scooby-Doo. But... Uh, so, so we'll stick with guy go garbage in, garbage out. What does this mean? Well, in computer science, this is a term that implies that if you have bad inputs, it's always going to result in bad outputs. Why? Because computer programs run strictly on logic. Computer programs don't think for themselves. Once they do, it's going to be like Skynet, and it's going to be Terminator, and it's going to be all crazy, okay? But computers, they don't think for themselves. They operate strictly on logic. Therefore, if you have an invalid input, it's going to produce unrecognizable outputs, right? If a computer program is expecting a single integer, and you give it a whole string of numbers, it's not going to know what to do with it, Right? If it's expecting text and you give it a different kind of data, it's not going to know what to do with it. In fact, Antonio, do you have that, that picture? If you've ever tried to open the wrong kind of a file in a text editor, maybe you've seen something like this on your computer before. It's unrecognizable outputs. It's gibberish. Why? Because you gave the wrong inputs to the text editor, and the text editor had no idea what to do with it, so it gave you unrecognizable outputs. And so here's the thing. In our lives, if we have the wrong inputs, then the output is not going to be recognizable. Recognizable is what? As followers of Jesus. People aren't going to recognize us as followers of Jesus if we've got the wrong output coming out of our mouths. And so how do we fix the wrong outputs? We look at the inputs. So let's start with today's thesis. Let's, if we can take our entire sermon and boil it down to one sentence, here is our one sentence. We need to selectively filter what we allow into our spirits because when we are under pressure... What's inside of us will come out in our words. We need to selectively filter what we allow in 
Because when we get squeezed, what's inside of us is going to come out in our words. And so last week, we listened to the teaching of James. This week, I want us to listen to the teaching of Peter. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 8. Starting in verse 8. Peter starts out with this. He says, to sum up, in other translations it might say, finally. Or it might say, the goal. Or it might say, therefore. He is, he is coming to a conclusion. A conclusion from what? What is he summing up? Everything he said so far in this letter. So we have to do a quick look back and say, well, what has he said so far in this letter? Well, he opened the letter up with the gospel. Listen to, to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Whew. Those are good words right there. Peter starts out with, we have salvation through the resurrected Jesus. And in that salvation, we have access to power and to an inheritance. And then he goes on to talk about practical steps of living out that salvation. Things like being sober in spirit, fixing your hope completely on Jesus, being obedient, that we are living stones being built together into one house, that we're a royal priesthood, abstain from worldly lusts, honor authority. You get to chapter 3, and he speaks specifically to women, and then he speaks specifically to men. And then we get to verse 8 of chapter 3. So he's taught salvation, and then he spent another two chapters teaching about the practical ways that as followers of Christ, we should live out our salvation. And then he says, let's sum it all up. Everything I've said so far, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirits. And so what he's saying is, is the goal of everything I have taught you so far, everything I've written to you has been for this purpose so that you would display these character traits of a follower of Christ. And so in your notes, if you're new with us, you can find the notes on the inside of the bulletin. He gives us these five traits of the Christian life. The first one is harmony. That means to be of the same mind and the same heart, to be in unity together with your other brothers and sisters that are walking out this life with Jesus, that we would be in harmony together. The second one is sympathy. What does sympathy mean? It means to feel somebody else's pain. It means to understand somebody else's suffering. It means to understand that we're in this together. And so when one of our brothers or sisters is hurting we're hurting with them. We're feeling that sympathy. The third one is brotherly love. This is the love that we share as followers of Christ. This is family love, right? This is, you know, sometimes my brothers and sisters in the natural, my siblings, sometimes they tick me off. 
but they're still family. They're still family, and we're going to love like family. And so that's what brotherly love, that's what the word phileo, right, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that as brothers and sisters, we're going to love one another. Listen to this quote from, from the author Bob Goff. He says this, Have you ever thought about that the way you treat your family members could be one of the greatest ways you show the world about God's love? The way you treat your family members could be one of the greatest ways you show the world about God's love. And so that could be the way you treat your brother or sister, or it could be the way we treat each other in the church. It could be the greatest way we show the world about God's love. The fourth one is compassion. To be compassionate means to be tender-hearted, to be kind-hearted, to have a soft heart to what is going on around you, to care deeply about what is happening in the world around you, not just your brothers and sisters in the church, but everybody in this world that we live in. And the last one is humility. Humility is recognizing your proper position in light of God. Humility does not mean that you put yourself down or that you beat yourself up or that you discount anything that you're able to do. Humility just means that you realize that everything you have comes from Him. And every good thing that you're able to do and every gift that you have comes from God. Humility also means viewing others as more important than yourself and viewing the whole church as more important than you as an individual. So he's got these five traits, harmony and sympathy, brotherly love, compassion and humility. He's saying this is the goal. This is what we're trying to get to. This is the output that we're trying to get to. He continues in verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Now, this wording is a little confusing because it makes it sound like that we do nice things so that we'll inherit a blessing from God. But that's not actually, uh, depending on what translation you're reading, they put the commas and the semicolons in different places, and it makes it sound completely different. The way we should read this is, you should give a blessing instead, for this is what you were called to, is to give blessings. And you will inherit a blessing from God. The blessing we inherit from God is the eternal blessing. It's the eternity that we get to live with Him and dwell with Him. But in the meantime, our purpose, our calling is to bless others. And so again, there's the output. What is the output that is supposed to come out of our mouths? It's supposed to bless others. But Peter tells us, wait, but first, you've got to not return evil for evil or insult for insult. So obviously, if Peter felt the need to write that, it's because people in the church were doing that. And now we're all looking around like it's the Last Supper. Is it I? Is it I? Is he talking? Do, do, do we? Have I ever? Yeah, come on, guys. Let's be real. We struggle with this. We're imperfect human beings. We struggle with returning evil for evil, which is physical actions. And we struggle with returning an insult for an insult, which is what we do with our words. And so you'll notice that there is no separation between our actions and our words. They're both wrong. Right? Sometimes we'll say, well, I mean, I didn't actually do it. I just said it. They're both wrong. 
And if it comes out of our mouth, then it's just like we did it. Don't return evil for evil or insult for insults. Here's the thing. If you're wondering why I have oranges here today, the world is going to squeeze us. Sometimes it'll be people squeezing us on purpose because they want to see what's going to come out. Or sometimes it's just the pressures of life that squeeze us, right? So sometimes you have those people that they want to squeeze you because they just know what's going to come out. They're just like, I know you're an orange. And so I know if I'm going to squeeze you, I know exactly what's going to come out. So I'm going to cuss you out just to prove that you'll cuss me out in return, right? Because I'm going to put the squeeze on you. Because I believe I know what's going to come out. Sometimes it's not people doing it on purpose. Sometimes our kids squeeze us, right, when they're being disobedient and they're being annoying. And then instead of graciousness coming out, a whole lot of anger comes out. And we say some things that we weren't supposed to say. And our kids are like, yeah, I know mom and dad go to church, but I know what they really are. Because whenever they get squeezed, it's just orange juice that comes out. Right? It might be the pressures of life. The bills aren't getting paid. I'm struggling with difficulty. And so what do I do? I give up on God. Whew. This one didn't want to be squeezed. <laughs> I give up on God. And I go do things my own way. Because when we get squeezed... Told you it was going to be like SeaWorld up in here. Because when we get squeezed, what's inside of us comes out. And so life can squeeze us with insults, personal attacks, stress at work, the kids misbehaving, financial difficulties, relational conflict, receiving bad news, accidents happen, and life squeezes us. And, and let's be honest, the ones closest to us are usually the ones that can squeeze the worst out of us, right? For me, it's, it's definitely been moments with my kids where the worst has absolutely come out of me. I remember one time, Andrew was four years old. And he was in preschool, and, and so I was a chaperone on a preschool field trip. And we were on this boat on the Willamette River in, in downtown Portland. And there is one thing that's always bothered me in life, and that has been littering. I just, I can't stand littering. It always upsets me. And, and so here we are on the top of this boat on this sightseeing trip, and my four-year-old son, for some unknown reason, when he finished his snack, decided to throw his trash right over the edge of the boat. Now, let's be honest, the Willamette River in downtown Portland's pretty nasty anyway, right? But still, we don't want to be throwing trash in it. And the moment I saw that trash leave his hand and fly over the edge of the boat, it just flew out of my mouth. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? And as soon as the words come out of my mouth, there's my little four-year-old boy with about 20 other four-year-olds, and I just shamed him in front of all of his friends. I got squeezed 
And something came out, and it was not recognizable as Jesus. The world wants to squeeze us so that evil will come out, so that insults will come out, so that curses will come out, so that shame will come out. And, and one of the excuses that we like to use to make ourselves feel better is we'll say something like, well, I can't help it. It just comes out. Right? I've, I've always been this way. It just, it just never changes. And could I challenge us this morning by saying that the problem is not that it came out of your mouth. The problem is that it was in your spirit in the first place. You say, I can't help that it came out. Okay, you can't help that it came out, but why was it in there in the first place? Because when we use an excuse like, well, I can't help when it comes out, what we're saying is, is that it's okay to have poison in my spirit as long as I'm, you know, disciplined enough to not ever let anybody know about it. As long as I can white-knuckle it and keep it hidden, it's totally okay that I've got poison in my spirit. Well, wait a minute. What happened to a pure heart, an undefiled spirit? You see, it's not that we said it that's the problem. The problem is that it was in there in the first place. And so rather than making excuses for it being in there in the first place, why don't we do something about the fact that it's in there? And so in your notes there, you can see you've got those three blanks with arrows kind of pointing backwards as we work our way through the blanks. And so what I want you to see in these blanks is this, is that the words come out of our mouth. But before the words come out of our mouth, they start as thoughts and attitudes that are in our spirits. And where do the thoughts and the attitudes that are in our spirit come from? They come from the things that we consume. So instead of looking at our words and making excuses for our words, why don't we instead look at the things that we're consuming that are leading to the poison that's in our spirit or the wrong thoughts and attitudes that are then leading to the words that are coming out of our mouth. And so since this sermon is entitled Garbage In, Garbage Out, in your notes I put what is the garbage that we are consuming? And I, I bet there could be a lot of them, but there was just four that as we were brainstorming this message, there were four that were really strong upon our heart that we came up with. The garbage that we're consuming... And you just know that I'm about to start meddling right now. You just, you're just, oh, geez, you, you saw the notes before the sermon, and you're like, oh, this is going to be rough. The garbage we're consuming. First one is gossip. How about gossip? That we're consuming gossip. What, what is gossip? I, I, I looked up a ton of different definitions, and I really like this one. Gossip is conversations or reports about other people's private lives that might be unkind, disapproving, or not true. And why do we share gossip? We share gossip because we are trying to change the way that you think about somebody. And so I'm going to share some gossip with you. And as Christians, come on, let's be honest. The best way we share gossip is in prayer requests. 
hey, guys, we really need to pray for so-and-so because have you heard what they did? Listen to Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Oh, the whisperer, the gossip, when they've got something to feed you, it's like a dainty morsel. You know it's bad for you, but you just can't help eating it. Right? It's like a fresh malasada right out of the fryer, coated in sugar, maybe filled with lilacoy. Come on. And you know it's bad for you, but you just can't help eating that dainty morsel. And it goes down into the innermost parts of your body and then pops back out in your hips or your love handles or wherever it's going to pop out. Gossip goes down like a dainty morsel, but it gets into the innermost parts of our body and poisons our spirits. This isn't in your notes, but I just want to give you this wisdom. If you want to start filtering the gossip out of your life, here are three questions you could ask when somebody starts gossiping to you. And instead of eating the dainty morsel, ask one of these questions and if it's gossip, almost 100% of these times, one of these questions will cut it off. The first question is this. Do I need to hear this? Somebody says, have you heard about so-and-so? You know what? Do I need to hear about so-and-so? Am I the person you should be telling me, that you should be telling about this? Second question is this. Why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me this? What are you trying to accomplish by sharing this dainty morsel with me? Or the third question is, who told this to you? Who told this to you? Because most people that gossip aren't willing to reveal their source. They're like great investigative journalists. Who told this to you? The second garbage that we consume is lies. And a lot of the time, the lies that we consume are about who we are or about what we're able to accomplish in this life. And those lies might come from people, but those lies might also come from the enemy who knows how to whisper lies into your ear and the thoughts run through your head. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If there are lies that are speaking against the truth of what God says about you or about life or about how we're supposed to live or about salvation, if there are lies that are being spoken, we need to filter those out. The third one, is fear and hatred. Fear and hatred. I'll tell another story on myself. This happened, I was probably 25, 26 years old. It was either right before we got married or right after we got married. But at that point in my life, I was a youth pastor. I was still a fairly new Christian, and I loved scary movies. I didn't feel any conviction against them. I didn't feel bad about watching them. I just, I loved scary movies. Until this one night. I live in this apartment complex, and I'm going to take the trash out. 
And as I get around the back of the apartment building, I notice that both floodlights that normally light up the back of the building are both out. And it is pitch black back there. And this is Lake Havasu, Arizona, where there are no street lights in the whole city. So when it's pitch black, it's really pitch black. And so I got my bag of garbage in my hand, and I come around the corner, and suddenly I'm in the pitch black. And in that moment, every scary movie I've ever watched began to come to life for me. What was that moving in the bushes? Something's coming out from behind that car. You know, and I am scared out of my mind. I'm starting to imagine that when I lift the lid of the dumpster, what gargoyle is going to come out and grab hold of my hand. And I am scared out of my mind. And I kid you not, I broke into a full sprint. I was like, no demon's going to catch me back here. I broke out into a full sprint, chucked that bag of garbage into the dumpster, and then broke out in a full sprint until I was back in the front of the apartment complex where there was lights again. And I'm standing there. (gasps) And then I had that moment. What's wrong with me? I'm a strong young man. What am I afraid of? I'm not a little kid. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me clear as day. That fear didn't come from me. And can I tell you, I have never watched a scary movie again from that day until today. But it's not just scary movies that we consume that can sow fear into our hearts. What about the news? I mean, you want to talk about sowing fear and hatred and division. It's consuming the news, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, if it's Fox or CNN or an alternative news source. Consuming the news can sow a lot of fear and and hatred. I was at a conference last month, and one of the keynote speakers was Ed Stetzer, who is just a a brilliant professor at Wheaton College and a a great missiologist. And, 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 And he asked us this challenging question. He said, are you being discipled more by the words of Christ or by the words of news networks? And how do you know? Because when politics comes up, do you sound more like Jesus or more like your favorite talking head from the news. We're consuming fear and hate. What about social media? How much fear and hatred is being sown through social media, whether it's by your friends or by Russia? I don't know, but, but it's out there. And we have to look at what we're consuming. The last one is complaining and bitterness. How much complaining and bitterness do we consume? How much of other people's negativity and how much of other people's offenses do we carry because we sit and we listen to their complaining and their negativity and their bitterness and their offenses and we just consume it and we just eat it all up and now we're carrying all of their baggage. We could go on and on, but these were just four that really struck me. We're consuming garbage, and it's getting into our spirit, and it's poisoning our spirits, and then it's coming out of the words of our mouth. So what does Peter say about this? Let's get back to chapter 3. 
Now we're in verse 10, and what Peter begins to do now is he quotes directly from Psalm 34, almost word for word from Psalm 34. He says this, For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceits. Right? That's what we want, right? We want long, healthy lives. We want goodness. We want an eternity with God. We want to experience the glory and the blessings of God. So what must we do? We must keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking lies. Verse 11, he must turn away from evil and do good. How do we do that? This next line, he must seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is a powerful verse because if you think about it, last Sunday we spent a lot of time talking about how the power of our words shapes the direction of people's lives, including our own. But here in verse 12, it tells us that our words not only affect people's lives, our words also turn the face of God. And you see, when our words are filled with humility and compassion, and when our words are crying out in desperation and brokenness to God, it says His face turns towards us. But when our words are full of bitterness and fear and gossip and insults and anger and lies, it says His face turns away from us. The power of our words is not just to shape people's lives. The power of our words is to turn the face of God either towards us or away from us. So how do we do this? He must seek peace and pursue it. He must seek peace and pursue it. I studied this phrase, and, and, and you can see here, Antonio can put it up, that this phrase can be translated several different ways when it comes to the idea of pursuing peace. It could be translated that you have to work to maintain peace, that you have to always be seeking peace, that you have to eagerly pursue peace, that you have to run after peace. All of these imply a large amount of effort on our parts. Right? And a lot of times we get the wrong idea about salvation. We just get the idea that, well, I just surrender my life to Jesus, and then I just sit back and soak up the peace, and everything's all good. Right? We get this wrong idea. You know, we're, we're, we're so big on telling people that salvation is free, salvation is free, salvation is free. It just gets people thinking that they don't have to do anything. But then why did Paul in Philippians chapter 2 tell the people to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Because there's some effort that is required on our part. And in the context of what we're talking about today, the effort that is required on our part is the effort to maintain the peace that comes with our salvation. That we want to have peace in our spirit. And so we've got to be willing to work to maintain it. We've got to always be seeking it. We've got to be running after it. Listen to this quote from Dr. Brian Simmons, who was one of the lead translators in the Passion Project and the, the Passion Translation of the Bible. 
He said this, we have been provided all that is needed to be whole and complete and break off all authority that would attempt to bind us to chaos. Think about that. There are authorities in this world that are trying to bind your life to chaos. It's like, here's you, and here's chaos, and there are forces at work that are trying to attach you to that chaos. And yet the promise of salvation is peace. And so what does Dr. Simmons say? Dr. Simmons says that a part of our salvation is that we have been provided everything that we need to completely break off all of those authorities that are trying to bind us to chaos. It's like at the moment of salvation, God says, bam, here's the toolbox. He even opens it up and says, here's all the tools. Right? In Ephesians, it says we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Here's the toolbox. But you got to pick up the tools. I've given you every tool you need. But you've got to pick it up. So here's what we want to do. If we go back to our garbage in, garbage out analogy of computer programming, good programming practice dis- dictates that functions should check for valid input before they process it. So that's why text editors are cheap programs, because they don't know how to check the inputs before they put all of that unrecognizable stuff on your screen. Listen to this. A well-written program will avoid producing garbage by not accepting it in the first place. A well-written program will realize immediately that's the wrong inputs, so I'm not going to do anything else until I get the proper inputs. Well, don't you think that we, as God's creation, are well-written programs? which means we have the capacity and we have the tools in place to not accept the garbage in the first place. We call it selective consumerism. Instead of being mass consumers, where we just consume everything that comes our way, why don't we be selective consumers? where we decide what we consume and what we don't. We take control of what's going to come into our spirit and what's not. Philippians 4.8, what did Paul say? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. So what's the answer? The answer is, again, because our lives are submitted to the Holy Spirit, we can be selective consumers. And anything that we're about to consume, we can stop and ask ourselves some questions before we consume it. The first question is this. Will consuming this make me more peaceful? Will consuming this make me more peaceful? If whatever I'm about to take in gets into my spirit, is it going to make my spirit more peaceful? And then what other questions do we ask? Well, let's go back to the beginning of the sermon. What are the five traits that we're looking for in the first place? We're looking for harmony. 
So we ask ourselves, will consuming this make me more harmonious with my brothers and sisters? Will listening to this dainty morsel of gossip make me feel closer to my brothers and sisters at church? Or is it going to make me feel farther away from them? If the trait we're desiring is sympathy, then we ask ourselves, will consuming this make me more sympathetic? Is this going to make me feel people's pain more? Is this going to make me understand people's suffering more? Or is this just going to harden my heart and make me stand aloof from people? If brotherly love is the goal, then we have to ask ourselves, will consuming this make me more loving? Am I loving people more because of what I've listened to, watched, heard today? If compassion is the goal, then we have to ask ourselves, will consuming this make me more compassionate? And if humility is the goal, we have to ask ourselves, will consuming this make me more humble? Let me invite the worship team to come back today. If the answer to these questions is no, then by the grace of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we choose to not consume it. Even if it's something we've been consuming for years. Even if it's something that we started consuming for a good reason in the beginning. But now that good reason's not there anymore because it's just poisoning my spirit. If the answer is yes, then we keep consuming it. And so we begin to ask ourselves, will listening to this gossip make me more sympathetic to the person or is it going to make me more judgmental towards them? Is listening to these lies going to make me more loving or is it going to cause me to separate myself from people will carrying this baggage of bitterness and offense make me more compassionate and here's the thing it's not about whether what you're listening to is sinful or not A lot of times, that's what we've boiled it down to, right? And through the years, churches have wagged their fingers at people. If you listen to this kind of music, it's sinful. If you watch these kinds of movies, it's sinful. If you hang out with these kinds of friends, it's sinful. I'm not talking about doing that. We're not asking ourselves if it's sinful or not. We're just asking ourselves, is this making me more harmonious, more peaceful, more loving, more compassionate, more sympathetic? Is this making me more like a follower of Jesus so that whatever's getting into my spirit and is going to come out in my words, people will actually recognize it as Jesus. So I ask the question today, what if people didn't get orange juice? What if they thought they knew about us? Oh, those Christians are just hypocrites. Oh, they just worship at church, but when they get to work, they're just like everybody else. 
But what if when we got squeezed, they didn't get orange juice? What if when somebody squeezed us and they attacked us personally or they cuss us out instead of returning insult for insult, what if when we get squeezed, it's not orange juice that comes out? And what if people are shocked because something different came out? What if when our kids have us stressed out and at the end of our rope, instead of saying something horrible about them, what if the graciousness of God came out and our kids said, wow, there is something to this Jesus thing? What if when we're struggling and hurting in life and we don't know what's going on, instead of fear and discouragement and despair, what if faith, what if the glory of God came out of us and people said, wow, there's something different about them. When they get squeezed, we don't get orange juice. Well, it starts not when we're in that situation, not when we're in the moment, It starts way before the moment when we made decisions about what we were going to consume and what we allowed into our spirit. Are we a people that is pursuing peace and pursuing harmony and pursuing goodness? Let me invite the prayer team to come up and stand somewhere other than my mess. (laughs) We should have unfolded the tarp a couple of times. That would have been more effective. Uh, Will you stand with me today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I would say begin to speak to us now, but my hope is you've been speaking to us for the last half hour. You've been challenging us, God. Help us to receive this word, Lord. Start with me, God. Let me not be a hypocrite preacher who makes it sound really good, but then all people get from me is orange juice. Oh, Lord, I want the glory of God to flow from me. I want the grace and goodness of God to flow over my children. So, Lord, would you do something new in me today? Would you challenge, Lord, everything that I consume and everything that I allow into my spirit? And, Lord, would you take us all to that place? God, would you take us to that place where as a people, as a people of God, we would say no more garbage outs. No more garbage outs. No more insults and attacks. No more gossip. No more lies. And so, Lord, would you work on us from the inside out? Don't just change our words, God. God, would you come and cleanse our spirits? If there have been any poison that we've allowed into our spirits, God, would you come today and be the toxin? Would you come today and make us clean? And then would you challenge each one of us, Lord, to be selective consumers and to begin to change what we're allowing into our spirit. Thank you for that today, Lord. As we begin to worship, I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. 
Our prayer team is up here. We are excited to pray for you. We are excited to partner with you and to see God's best in your life. If there's poison in your spirit and you need healing today, come for prayer. If you know that changing what you consume is going to be really, really difficult, then come and receive prayer today. If God is challenging you in some area, come and receive prayer today so that someone can partner with you and pray over you in that area. If you've never made the decision to surrender your life to the Lord so you don't even have the tools, you don't even have the peace that we've been talking about, then what better moment than now to make a decision to surrender your life to the Lord? And you can come and ask any one of these people on the prayer team to pray for you because you're ready to give your whole life to Jesus. If you don't come forward, please just worship with us. Let's set the atmosphere. I believe people's lives are going to be touched and changed right now. I believe that even difficulties and brokenness in families and relationships is going to begin to be healed right now. Things that people have dreamed for and longed for, they're going to begin to access right now because of the ministry that is about to happen. So let's worship and let's set the atmosphere for that. And when you're ready, please come forward for prayer and receive that prayer today.